Have you ever thought about that while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb? I did. I actually bought two homes in Albuquerque that I Airbnb'd, and it was just an amazing investment, honestly, because, you know, as you are accruing value in your property, you are also making money on the Airbnbs. It's amazing. So your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 21 Seeds Infused Tequila is a must-have. It's an award-winning tequila. It's infused with real juice, with real fruit, which means the flavors are built in. It's real. So you need like two or three ingredients to make your perfect cocktail. Hey, um, you know how I'm always trying to keep my house parties exciting? New cocktails? <laughs> do you? Yeah. Okay, well, here's something that's going to flip the script. Okay. All right. 21 Seeds Infused Tequila. Yeah. yeah. Tell me more about this, right. Oliver Hudson. Yeah, 21 Seeds is an award-winning tequila that's infused with juice from real fruits. You only need two to three ingredients to make the perfect cocktail. Wait a minute. I think I know what brand you're talking about. You know why? Yeah. Because 21 Seeds is founded by two sisters and their friend. It's female founded. That's right. See? Sounds See like how I know? Something I can get behind. I know. Well, there's a good story behind that for sure. Listen, if you love tequila... You have to try 21 Seeds Infused Tequila. Enjoy responsibly. 21 Seeds Diageo, New York, New York. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Hi, I'm Kate Hudson. And my name is Oliver Hudson. We wanted to do something that highlighted our relationship. And what it's like to be siblings. We are a sibling rivalry. No. Oh, no. Sibling rivalry. Don't do that with your mouth. <laughs> Sibling rivalry. That's good. Lisa Ling. Lisa Ling. And her sister. And her sister. You gotta work on your melodies. Lisa Ling. That's my signature. That's the only melody you've ever <laughs> sang in your life. That's my signature melody. <laughs> Lisa Ling. And her sister. I loved this episode. Oh my God. I loved. Me too. I was nervous going Sitting to with this them. One. Yeah, because she's a pro. They're both, they're pros. Mm -hmm. I mean. Well, also, her sister's story, I, I didn't know how to sort of broach it or when to bring it up or if it was okay to bring up. I think it was interesting. I mean, they wrote the book about Laura's kidnapping. But when someone's experienced that kind of trauma and someone's been through something that is so deeply terrifying, it's hard. It was hard. What do you ask? You're like, so were How you... <laughs> was it? I know. That's kind of what I, it was. I, I, was like, I know, How I know. You... And, and because we don't really do this for a living. We're learning how to interview people. Right. We're learning how to get... It's not our learned profession. There were a few questions that I asked where she was... Like, took big pauses, and I was like, ooh, did I 
cross a line of some kind. I, I didn't know whether it was okay to ask certain specific questions because you know me, I'm, I'm a detail oriented person. I love the, 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 the tiny little details of things. And so I wanted to get even deeper into a few sort of scenarios, but I didn't want to press, you know, but talking to Lisa though is interesting about her reaction to it and how, what kind of a mode she went into when, you know, her sister, her partner in crime, this person who she has shared her entire life with their, not only sisters, but there's some, there's a deep spiritual bond that these two have and when this happened hearing her reaction no i know it, it, it you they're very self-sufficient people they had to learn how to be self-sufficient so early so they only had each other to they took care of each other mm-hmm. and lisa really took care of her sister when she was younger it's a very sweet story their sibling relationship mm-hmm. i think that one of the things I noticed from it was that they grew up pretty much unattended and they ended up becoming such incredibly grounded women. Mm-hmm. Whereas in that environment, it could have gone completely the other way, b- having no parental guidance. And instead, they just... Strong. Yeah. Strong women. So Lisa, yeah, she's an award-winning journalist. She's hosting the CNN series, This Is Life, which you've seen... A lot of them. A lot of... I love, love it. A lot of it. And she also worked as a correspondent on The Oprah Winfrey Show, co-host on The View. That's actually when I met her first. Mm-hmm. We, I mean, that was years ago when we were both super young. And she started like 18 years old working at Channel One going to Afghanistan, traveling the world. Laura, same thing, award-winning journalist, reported on topics like slave labor in the Amazon, women's rights in the Middle East. She's very much invested in human rights. Humanitarian stuff, yeah, and fearless. They're both so fearless. So then they wrote their book called Somewhere Inside One Sister's Captivity in North Korea and the Other's Fight to Bring Her Home. Mm. We loved having them here. And they were awesome. Yeah. So here we go. Enjoy. Enjoy. Lisa and Laura. Laura and Lisa. First of all, welcome. We're so yeah. happy you guys so are excited. here. This Thank is you. so great. We've been having so much fun doing this. Yeah. We've been, it's a it's a different kind of dynamic. We don't do this for a living, you guys do. So what I find intriguing about that is and I know as an actor, I have that desire to try to understand um, different human behavior. And that, I think, is really what sparks me to be a storyteller. But what? let's start with you, Lisa. Like, What initiated this curiosity to venture off in this career path? So Laura and I grew up in a, in a town outside of Sacramento, California called Carmichael. And uh, it was not a very diverse place. And we didn't have a lot of money. Our, our parents got a divorce when uh, we, I was seven, Laura was four. And we really never got a chance to travel that much. But yet, I think both of us have always had like a pretty insatiable curiosity. And so uh, the TV was our favorite babysitter. It was on in our home all 
all the time. And so I thought if I could somehow get on TV, maybe I could have a better life one day. Mm. Um, and I had found out about auditions at a local mall for a, a, for a teen magazine show. I did it. I got hired. But it wasn't until I started working, I got hired because I'd had that TV experience, I got hired to report for a show that was seen in middle schools and high schools across the country called Channel One News. In fact, Anderson Cooper from CNN was one of my colleagues there. And that show, because it was seen in schools, they hired a bunch of young-looking correspondents to deliver the news and to send out into the world to cover stories. How so old were you? I was only... 18 when I started okay. at Channel One. And for a kid who had never gotten a chance to really travel much, it was the most eye-opening experience you could imagine. And so um, I was sent to cover stories. I was sent to cover the Russian referendum elections. I was sent to cover stories about the drug wars in South America, stories about globalization uh, in, in India and China. And wow. one year, this is a couple of years after I'd started, they sent me to cover the civil war in Afghanistan. They asked me if I would I wanted to cover the Civil War in Afghanistan, and we'd be going in with the Red Cross. And so I felt fairly secure going in with them. And so I agreed. And I'm 21 years old at the time. And from the moment we descended from the steps of the Red Cross plane, I was just in this state of shock by the scene that greeted me on the ground. I was immediately surrounded by throngs of young boys who looked no more than 10 years old, who were carrying Kalashnikovs and RPGs and, you know, weapons that, that were larger than they were. And it was at that moment or during that experience that I realized that I, it, I wanted to continue doing this kind of work, not because I wanted to be on TV to have a better life, but because I knew as a young person that our country, the U.S., was so involved in Afghanistan throughout the 1980s, but that no one in my world knew that this scene existed in the world, knew that there were thousands of young boys who were harboring these weapons that were possibly even paid for by the United States. Mm -hmm. And that experience really propelled me to want to communicate stories about things that were happening in the world to a wider audience. Uh, and I got, I got that that travel bug. I don't, uh, you know. And I, it just, it was su such a a world that was so foreign, so foreign from mm -hmm. mine. Like never in my wildest dreams did I ever expect I would see something like that. And it was almost like this divine kind of communication to me that this is what I was supposed to do. What about the fear factor? Oh, it was terrifying. Terrifying. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, we traveled to the front lines of the Civil War there, and it was terrifying. But it was this, like, sense of adrenaline that I had never experienced before. And I, you know, it's I was quite sexy, isn't it? That's what I have <laughs> well, a friend who says that there's something actually quite sexy about it. Maybe not as it's happening, but sort of the world inside of it. When you live with that sort of adrenaline and you know that these things that you're doing are really important, you meet the most interesting people. You know on what the it field. is, Kate? It, it's, I would not say that I'm an adrenaline junkie by any means, but. I've always, since that experience, really recognized those moments when I feel alive. You know, like I think we go through our days, m most of us can't even remember what we did yesterday, right? Because things kind of become perfunctory after mm -hmm. a while, right? When you're in the world and you're not just visiting touristy destinations, right? You're like immersed in someone else's life. Your senses are so heightened. You're thinking 
so much more sort of strongly, right? And you are just totally aware of your surroundings. And I'm not just talking about war zones, just anywhere outside of your comfort zone. I like that feeling. Mm -hmm. Like I like to feel all of those things. And, you know, unfortunately we've gotten to a place where we just don't really like to feel anymore. Yeah. I think that's really- I mean, I, really I was I was afraid to like go to Melrose. You're still afraid to go to Melrose. <laughs> I mean, when I was that age, I was scared to go to like Martell and Melrose because that was like It's still fearful for you to cross the 405 <laughs> and you, you, you live right by the 405. <laughs> So I, I, I mean, I'm making this assumption, but I would think just based on my relationships with my siblings that Lisa's, you know, entrance into this world, she's 18 years old, which means you're three years younger. So that must have been really inspiring for you. And you must have looked up to that in a sense when you were younger. Absolutely. I mean, Lisa talks about how she, when we were watching TV, she looked at Connie Chung, who was the closest person that she could identify with that looked like her. Um, and was doing these amazing things. And for me, I guess my Connie Chung was Lisa Ling, my <laughs> sister. And oh, I'm getting so emotional. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet, though. But this so, is what happened. <laughs> we cry all the time. But so I was, at, I was at UCLA when Lisa was in Afghanistan. And I remember when she came back and told me about this country where I really couldn't, like most people, identify on a map. And when she told me this, the the story about what she had seen and I could see how affected she was by it, I was just, I was like, I want to do that too. <laughs> and and so I actually thought I was going to go into print reporting. I was working for a researcher for the LA Times, but I could also see how television at the time was the dominant medium for people of our generation. And so then I just sort of followed in Lisa's footsteps and I started working as a researcher and working my way up and, and in, in the business and having the, and, and eventually got the opportunity to, you know, travel around the world and cover issues of many of the issues that I covered have had to do with freedom and human rights. And then, you know, of course, um, I experienced my own loss of freedom. And so it has just, given me a greater appreciation for, you know, the liberties that we have. Do you, do you think though that this sort of desire, you know, this, it feels like this was like an internal fire. I understand that TV was the impetus, which I guess the lesson is here, let your kids watch as much TV, <laughs> <laughs> right? Because TV look, look, look what TV look did for the Ling sisters. Different from, it's, by the way, different from un unfettered access to the internet, which we are not into. But like no. TV can be, you know, Inspiring. the babysitter, the babysitter. Sure. Look what the. Okay. But, but 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 what I'm what I'm saying is is do you think that it was so going back to sort of growing up as as kids? I mean, do you think that this was instilled? Do you think that your parents were part of the reason that this is who you are? You know, or is this something that is separate from how you were raised and grew up? It, it's funny to think about that because Laura and I kind of raised each other mm. because our parents were were divorced when we were so young and our dad worked all the time. Our grandmother was there, but she was starting to become very senile and, and uh, you know, develop dementia. And so I kind of took took it upon myself to raise Laura. And I think that's one of the reasons why we are so close. I mean, I honestly don't know very many siblings who 
are as close, who have been as close as the two of us. And I think, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that I kind of saw her as my kid. Like I threw a birthday party for her because mm. we, our parents weren't around to, to do that. Um, and divorce is always is devastating for, for young kids. But in some ways now in retrospect, I think it could have been one of the best things that could have ever happened to us because we got to experience two people who shouldn't have, ne- shouldn't have ever been together in the first place, um, independent of one another. And, and there wasn't that constant like friction and tension in the house, but it also forced us to become so much more independent. Uh, and I think actually that had a lot to do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, we would visit my, our mom moved to Los Angeles, uh, when we were kids. And it's funny that you were afraid of going to Melrose because <laughs> my mom was like in LA trying to hustle. And so she would just drop, drop us, us off on Melrose. <laughs> <laughs> when we, we were young kids, they would spend all day on Melrose and we loved it. Oh my God. But I think that coming from, but coming from Sacramento, California, yeah. which couldn't be more different than Melrose, we were just, I mean, it was the best. And so Melrose Avenue was almost like our exposure to, you know, a different life and a different culture. Right. <laughs> yeah, so. right. we, would, we would just go, like, go to stores. We'd hang out in the little cafes. Oh, I eventually ended up selling choker necklaces that I made in my spare time on, on Melrose, Melrose Avenue. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh. And were you, were, you, were you guys living together? Or were you, as a family, you guys were all under the same roof? Yes, the yeah. two of us were together almost always when we were young. I mean, Laura eventually moved to live in L.A. with my mom later on um, when she was in the like latter part of high school. But for the most part, we lived in Carmichael during the school year. And in the summer, we'd come to L.A. to, to, to stay with our mom. So you were mostly with your grandma. And where was dad? Dad was working all but the in time. Sac- yeah, but in, in Sacramento. Sacramento. We lived with, yes. with our dad and our So grandma. you probably see him, you saw him more than you saw mom. Yes, we, we did, did. But he worked the graveyard shift, which means that he which he Sleep left at 2 o'clock in the afternoon and then wouldn't come home until like 11 or 12 o'clock at night. So we would see him on the weekends and in the mornings. I mean, we really did raise ourselves. But, and even though our parents had nothing to do with the media, um... Our mom did want to expose us to other cultures. And I remember our first trip we took, international trip, was to Hong Kong. I'd never experienced humidity before. When I walked off that plane, I thought that it was like the engines of the plane that were still whirring that was making that giving me that feeling. And I said, mom, why is, what is this going on? And that was humidity for me. That was the first time I experienced humidity. But just being in Hong Kong and opened our eyes to another world. So I think that our mom did want us to travel. And that was also kind of like the start of something. Yeah. I mean, us. she wasn't, she wasn't there day to day with us, but it was because she was really working to try and give us experiences. And, you know, as hard as it was, the divorce was for us, like, what we was we hard love about our dad. What, what was well, just not not having our parents around for really anything, you know. I mean, because my dad, our dad worked all the time, and our mom was living in L.A., so that was really challenging, you know. I mean, we literally, I, I mean, can't remember incredibly challenging. Yeah, I, can't I mean, remember you them. look. I mean, you look at your own kids as we as all parents do. You 
you want to emulate certain things about your parents and then you don't want to emulate certain things. But, but when you grow up like that, I mean, that is beyond challenging oh, yeah. I mean, and probably I, I, traumatic I, I get at devastated times. if I miss a brownie meeting. Now. Right. <laughs> you know? Oh, I know. Right. Well, see, because we're products of divorce, I guess, you know, products, it's a strange word to say. But yes, we come from a divorced family. I, I, but I go the other way. I have now become hyper dad where I feel like if I am not around for one little thing that he's going to have abandonment issues, he's going to be in therapy for 20 <laughs> five years you know because i missed a drop-off or i missed a, like a hot lunch you know yeah. so i'm dealing with well, that and, and i think that's something you know once you do grow up and you know achieve a certain kind of i guess a level of success and you can provide for your children what you never got as a kid mm -hmm. you do become hyper sort of vigilant mm -hmm. about those things and i think Part of the reason why Laura and I became as ambitious as we have become is because we struggled. But at the same time, like what we would have done to have had our <laughs> had our parents at our, you know, like our yeah. games or come to our events yeah. and all that stuff. And like thinking back on, you know, prom and having, you know, an aunt like have to take me out. Like what we would have done to have had our parents involved. I took with Lisa's that. Pit prom pictures. Yeah. You did. Yeah, yeah. She, when she would, you know, her date would pick her up, oh, and I would be there this to makes take her me picture. I know. <laughs> but but but, do you but this got, does but, not mean that we're not close to our parents or don't right. appreciate them. Well, I mean, of they I were, was, you know, as we immigrant parents, they were working all the well, time. Well, it sounds so circumstantial, but, you know, rather than sort of. I'm leaving you. I don't want anything to do with you. You know, there's well, a I circumstantial aspect to it that also, maybe makes it a little. I also easier. think, and, and let's does. we can let's add some perspective on this too, because your parents, your was it your mother grew up in Taiwan, Taiwan and dad was Hong Kong, right? And then there, but they were really sort of brought together through. It was almost like an arranged, arranged. marriage. It was, it was, yeah. You know, and and then when did they come to the states? So my dad was here. They oh, he's met, right. He was. They met here in the states. But my mom, when she got to this country, didn't speak a word of English or Cantonese, which is the 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 language my dad grew up speaking. So they communicated. <laughs> I don't even know how they communicated in the beginning, <laughs> but my dad dated Caucasian women <laughs> and that was not cool for his parents. And so they kind of pushed him to marry my mom, who was this beautiful Taiwanese woman. And I can, of course, now we understand why it didn't work. They couldn't have been more different. But when you're a kid and, and, and all of your friends' parents are together, I mean, I didn't, we didn't know of many families uh, that were divorced when we were growing up. It was just, and your parents are immigrants. It was what just, was it their was also? What was their relationship like to their parents? Did they have a good relationship? I mean, was your father because your grandmother that was there with you guys a lot was your father's, father's mother. mother? Yeah. And what was that relationship like? Was it loving? Was it affectionate? Or was it very much like we get our job done, we work hard, and we and love is secondary and love right. I think it was both with with regard to our dad. Like he worked a lot, but he also was a very devoted son. I mean, he took care of our grandmother until the very end. He he had pl plenty of girlfriends when we were going growing up, but he never got married because we were always his first priority, and so was our grandmother. And by the way, our mom never remarried either because wow. 
Yeah, because she was dating someone who lived in Hong Kong, which is why we went there. And she wouldn't marry him because she w didn't want to be far away from us. And so they made a lot of sacrifices. And our dad, even though he worked all the time, like he was very affectionate. I remember he'd come home from work at like 11 o'clock. 12 o'clock at night we'd be in our beds but i remember he had a mustache and i remember him like mm. i would feel his his mustache hair like kiss me on the cheek and in, in the middle of the night when he came home from work and so they were very they they tried their best mm -hmm. you know and you're right it was circumstantial and even with our mom even though as kids we didn't understand why she wasn't with us all the time when we took the time to understand what her background was like um it it, it made a lot a lot of things a lot clearer for us because she really grew up in a completely messed up home life. I mean, you know, her father had two concubines and had God knows how many kids. So she was one of, I don't know, over 20 kids. And so she didn't have any relationship wow. with her father at all. He would basically pat her on the head whenever he'd see her. And her mom was just so depressed that she never showed affection. So I think for both of us, after we really took the time to understand our parents' past, that really helped us appreciate the sacrifices they were making for well, us. Well, it also seems like you guys became your each other's emotional saviors in a way. Yeah, you oh, know absolutely. what I mean. Because you were the you guys were the you were able to experience and express love that your parents weren't able to give you. You guys almost figured it out on your own. You know, thank God you guys had each other. Yeah. yeah, you know. What did your house look like that you grew up in? <laughs> <laughs> um, how would you describe it? I mean, it was kind, kind of, of like, like middle typical, class. Yeah, it was a two-story house, but you know, we were we took care of the house. So, and our dad wasn't the neatest person. So, I mean, we were kids, kind of taking care of everything. The only thing that we never learned how to do is cook because our grandmother cooked. But yeah, we didn't like to have friends over a lot because it was... They would they would make fun of our us because our house always smelled, smelled like, like Chinese food. Rice. Yeah. <laughs> but, and <laughs> you know, my, like everything, everything was old because when my mom, you know, moved, my dad really didn't care. So everything, like I remember the curtains were just like hanging there. They just... <laughs> everything was old and you know just not very very nice <laughs> did you share a room we did do you still share a room? Uh, so <laughs> actually, actually, so whenever we're together, we do. We always want to sleep in the same room. Do you? Actually, yeah, we do. always. Yeah, we're we're actually traveling for an event tomorrow, and you know they said, "Oh, we got a room for each of you," and we're like, "No, we we just one room's fine." Yeah. Oh my, that's. I mean, I uh, wish we were that close. I, Jeez, I, I know. Well, we are. We're about three. We're three years. Two and okay. three quarters. You know. Um, but we had a very different type of relationship growing up. Yeah. It was totally different. Yeah. Yes. More of a push and pull type of really, well, more just push. <laughs> 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 Our father was just not dependable in any way. And I like kind of remember it, but I, but I don't, I almost sometimes wonder if I, I remember it because I've been told the story so many times, but I feel like I have a very visceral memory of this moment where Oliver, my dad was, our dad was supposed to pick us up and, oh, yeah. and never showed up. And Oliver did not leave the doorway for hours. Like he just sat there like waiting for dad, which is a perfect metaphor for him. 
<laughs> still, still that should waiting. be his memoir <laughs> waiting for dad waiting for dad still waiting <laughs> still waiting uh, but but you know and bill you know it, as you get older you realize you know as you do you realize where they come from you realize what their challenges were or why they ended mm-hmm. up repeating some of the same patterns right. and things and you you find forgiveness and yes which i have i've got I've, I've had come to jesus moments with my dad and we actually are communicating now you know through text but it's hard for him you know it's really hard we've had lunch a couple times but i'll text him saying let's get together and he won't text back and i don't it's not i don't take it personally anymore you know there's something deeper but you know it's it, it, in the work that we do you know in my show i can't tell you how many people i interview and they are the way they are or they've you know kind of um descended into like these pits so often because of something that happened in their childhood and when their their parents just weren't there for he- them when they needed that like they needed that support or they just needed that like sense of reassurance it's also about like self-regulating we just don't understand that as children i mean now we start realizing with kids the importance of social and emotional learning and teaching kids that don't have the tools from their parents to understand it themselves. Um, but you think about it, like just even 10, 15 years ago, we weren't talking about a lot of these things. And even us as kids with the most amazing mother who wanted nothing but everything for us to be good and a great stepdad, you know, you still come from a very privileged background. But here we are experiencing the worst kind of neglect and abandonment that affects you however it's going to affect you. And and it's funny because I think for us, it's one of those things that you don't ever talk about because you feel like because you grew up in some kind of privilege that nobody really will it does, relate. Nobody it doesn't cares. matter. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't matter, matter what your right. own... But it does, I think, make Oliver and I very curious about the importance of like love and a connective family. I mean, we are an incredibly close family, even through all the shit that we've been through. And you realize like at the end of the day, this relationship that we have is everything. And it's everything that we can to like be the best version of ourselves in the world is, is, is what we're and how we're living and communicating together now. Yeah. I mean, irrespective of how you grew up, right? Laura and I, if we didn't have each other, I, I things could have turned out much, much differently. And the, for the two of you, the same thing. You know, you, you were really lucky that you at least had someone who could commiserate or who could understand, you know, exactly that moment when you were experiencing that, mm-hmm. why you were feeling that yeah, way. Yeah, I mean, and it's different. There was a handful of times, like my, my first heartbreak with Oliver, you know, my, my very first heartbreak was devastating. And, and I remember I was like sobbing in my room and Oliver was the one who sort of held me for a good hour to like tell me it was okay. I I never had that with any man but Oliver, really. Um, so yeah, there were great. moments. I'm pretty great. I mean, <laughs> you are, you're, you've, got, you've, got, you've got great moments. Let's face Definitely it. Definitely great face moments. It. She said there were five. Oh, like, okay. <laughs> uh, let's be honest. <laughs> By the way, Oliver, I will be calling you the, uh, <laughs> when I'm going through something. Just be sure. Um, so was, how but, often did you see mom? Well, she came back to to visit us probably once or twice a month, and we talked on the phone every single yeah. day. So and we she would spend was the entire summer. Yeah, so she was very much a part of our lives. And did you? And then you moved to mom, and you stayed up with dad, right? Yes. 
And how was that for you guys? Why, first of all? Just because I was still in high school and Lisa was working. So how was that, though? Because you guys were so close. It was devastating. I mean, I I can't even (laughs) imagine now that I get a little more insight. I mean, you guys relied on each other so much as support. Like once that's fractured, how does that feel? How did that work out? It was devastating. But I think it, it also allowed me who, you know, Lisa was kind of this mother figure for me, allowed me to sort of become a little bit more independent. Mm -hmm. But Lisa was also the sort of more rebellious one, correct? That is correct. Talkative. Yes, that's true. So she was more of the mother figure, but I'm definitely more like the more mature one. Uh Right, right. So so, so she... Probably. <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, Want to get some good. perspective of that too. Were like, you like a wild child? I, I was pretty wild. You were. Yeah. Yeah. But like, I always I like could out ha- drinking and doing all the crazy stuff. I I partied yeah. and I had a good time. But I, you know, I've always been pretty good at like compartmentalizing things. So mm. I knew that. I had to study hard in school and I, you know, I had to, to perform well. So I think, again, I think because we didn't grow up with parents in the home all the time, we just learned how to become responsible for what we had to do. Mm-hmm. So while I had a really good time, um, I, I always kind of knew where the line right. was nice. and so I didn't cross it because it could go the it total totally opposite oh, I way. I mean, you had no authority authoritative figure well, sort of guiding you in that sense. Grandma. I mean, grandma. We did. Was- well, we, we, I, I, I do have to say our grandma who was ultra, like she was a religious zealot, very highly educated woman. Um, you know, even spoke like British English cause she, she, she went to school and, and, and studied at Cambridge. Um, but she was so religious that, at, at, at Halloween, she would tear down our decorations and make us sing hymns while people were ring, ringing the doorbell, wanting to <laughs> oh trick or treat. God. Like that's how religious. Oh, oh, oh. But I think in in a, in like a strange a... way, she instilled like the fear of God in us. Okay. So that while we partied, we kind of like subconsciously like always had that line because she imposed that on us. I really do. You know, we, 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 we discount her sometimes because she was starting to become very senile, but she did play a very big role in our lives. Mm-hmm. She basically put the fear of God into oh, you. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Literally. <laughs> and but- kind of like instilling certain values yeah. at a very young age. I mean, we, she would sit us down and we would have to sit through Bible study with her before we could go out and play with our friends. Wow. When we were really young, because then she started to to you know lose it. But are you? But your guys aren't religious now, or are you? No. I'm not religious at all. No. I, I was going. This one of my questions is: I bet rebel- going into the field that? and doing what it is that you do must be really challenging to sort of religion. And I, I, I would just say that it plays such a big part in so many conflicts that as a reporter or as someone who's bringing these things to the forefront, it, might, it must be a very challenging relationship to have. So I, I, I have shunned um, evangelical Christianity because of my experience as a young person. However, I am very, very connected to God. I have my own personal relationship with God, and I even channel some of the prophets, um, including Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. in my work sometimes because I just think that he was such a cool guy who walked the earth, who was the most selfless, um, non-judgmental um, loving, kind, pure human being that I actually think about him in my work all the time. Thank you. But I don't. Oh. But I, 
Are we talking about me? Oliver Hudson. Oh, yeah. Okay. All Sorry. the time. <laughs> but I don't subscribe to any. But do you yeah, believe in. And I would, I would say the same thing. I mean, I do talk to a God. Um, I'm a not, God. I'm not religious. Is it. God in the Christian form. Um, I, I don't know kind what to I, me. It's a creator. I, yeah, it's I, really I don't. Just the creator, right? Yeah, I mean, in in some very uh, dark moments, I I have talked to God, and wow. I have felt yeah, I felt a certain presence there. I definitely, um, I can't wait to get to that part. <laughs> yeah. We don't to, have to get to that part. No, I, I, I know. <laughs> I'm, not, I, I'm so. We, I'm so well, but well, this from, is such a huge part of your guys' relationship. I mean. There's one thing, Lisa goes to Los Angeles, but then your sister goes to do her work and gets taken. I don't even know what that must have felt like for you. Well, you got that phone call, right? I mean, I, I read a little bit about yeah, it. Yeah, so it was 2009, and Laura and I had spoken about her wanting to go report on a story about North Korean refuge, refugees in uh, South Korea and China. And there was never any mention about going into North Korea. And so I thought, there. I, I didn't even think twice about it. I mean, she had gone to cover uh, a story about drug trafficking in Mexico a couple of months prior. And I was actually terrified about her going and doing that. That's scary. I mean, that's, oh my God, that's- how was, was, how was that? I mean, aside from North Korea, just- Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, the just the, the level and method of- drug-related killings at that time yeah. was out of control. Um, it has um, simmered a little bit since then, but it was crazy. I mean, I was driving around um, witnessing the aftermath of murder after murder after murder and journalists every were single targets. day. So, yeah. of course, I, I, you know, I was terrified about that. Oh, yeah. yeah, and it's true. So for that story on the drug war in Mexico, um, I was certainly concerned about my physical well-being and getting back from that story, there was a sense of relief that any, everything had gone fine. Yeah. Um, and so the story in northeastern China was a sensitive story, but it was sensitive in terms of the people we were interviewing in China and and sort of like their safety and concealing their identities and such. But I didn't feel as if it was going to be such a uh, – there was going to be such a huge risk to me personally – um, mm -hmm. And of course, that all changed. Mm -hmm. So, but when you, even when you're in Mexico, though, just again, it's just getting to the psychology of it. But the story is so important to you that you are willing to sort of say, "Fuck it, I'm going to go to Mexico to expose this." Well, to expose yes, what's happening. yes, but I don't think we we really say "fuck it." We say, "What can we do to ensure?" that we have taken every precaution for ourselves and others. Um, and so once you analyze the risk and try to mitigate uh, the risk as much as you possibly can, you feel more comfortable going into a situation um, because you're prepared. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I also, you know, life is so, is so random. I mean, the, we could walk out yeah. into the street in 20 minutes from yeah. now That's and right. – get shot yes. or get That's hit it. by a and, car. And I say and this, so. it's like, I'm going into Mexico for a few days to cover the situation that people are living through mm -hmm. every single day. Mm -hmm. So they're the ones that have to go to the supermarket and they don't know if they come outside, if there's going to be a mass shooting or not. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. a simple trip to the supermarket that we take every day without worry. So, um, mm-hmm. so that's what you have. That's right. what I think about as well. Right. So you go to Mexico, you come back, you go now to South Korea and chi- China and South Korea. And then what, when was that decision? So when, what happens? How did we how end did up you, being held captive right, in North Korea? Exactly. I know. <laughs> I listened to the NPR. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, so we were filming uh, one day along the river that separates North Korea and China and the river was frozen. And so we stepped onto that frozen ice like many people do when they are um, fleeing, when they're defecting from North Korea or being smuggled or trafficked across. And um, our guide, we had a local guide there, and he uh, walked toward the other side and motioned for us to follow him, and we did. And we were there for just not even more than a minute, and we turned around and we left. And and that's when um, two North Korean soldiers um, appeared and started chasing us. Because you knew. I mean, you were like, "This is no, we should not be over here." Well, Let's the thing is, just here, right? I'll have to interject. You know, when 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 reporters go overseas, they often hire fixers who have had experiences with other television crews, with other media before, and so this man was no different from yeah. so many of the fixers that we hire. You, sure, all you over trusted the world. that you were going into an area that would have been. Yeah, I mean, of of course. I mean, this is the border, so it is not. We 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 know that it is a sensitive area. You know, having said that, there were other reporters. Have been other reporters in the past who have even made small talk with North Korean soldiers. Um, I mean, we 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 still have reason to believe that that esc- that 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 fixer was paid off. So this Laura, is di- Laura this and her is, colleague were high. They were high value targets. They work for Al Gore's media company. Mm-hmm. So, so, so this is the difference that we have as sisters. So, so that's Lisa. Lisa does believe that, um, and that may be the case. But I choose not to even think about that. Um, I I feel as if um, I really cannot blame anyone but myself for for my actions um, that day. So I followed our guide. No one forced me to. Um, follow him. I did it. It was my instincts, instincts that I had relied on um, throughout my career, instincts that have kept me safe. And on that day, my instincts failed me. Did you have any moment where you were questioning their instincts, where you said, "Mm, something doesn't feel right, but I'm going to trust anyway? Yes. Yes. Um, So our guide was making these kind of odd sounds. He was kind of like making these hooting sounds on the ice. Uh, while we were standing on that ice, like he was trying to attract right. the attention Making of the guards. A call. I, yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I, I mean, we're we're getting we're getting into the the minute details of it, but um, I thought he could have been trying to connect with a North Korean soldier that he did know that might want to talk to us because he had told us previously that he had connections in you know there, and so. It, you know, you can interpret it so many different ways. And that's why I say I don't really want to interpret it any other way than to just take responsibility for my actions. And I'm the one that had to deal with the consequences of it. So anyway, so soldiers chased us uh, back into China. And then I was pretty violently beaten and mm. then dragged into North Korea at that point. Crazy. So crazy. You got, I, I, yeah, with the butt of a gun. So you were taken into North Korea, and where where did they take you? What was the first thing that happened? We were taken to an army base, um, and then 
transferred then to a, on the first day we were transferred to a total of three different locations, um, all army bases, um, eventually to a location where we were uh, put in separate cells. And you stayed in the cell for for how long? Yeah. Um, we were at that location for a few days. I think it was about two or three days. Um, and they were, you know, it was very, it was like a five foot by six foot pitch black cell. Um, oh, yeah. So and, crazy. and so, again, I, 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 read, I listened to sort of this NPR and heard a little bit about it. But for you, again, as her sister, did emotion immediately spring up or was it more of, okay, this has happened. I'm in this world. I understand it. I need to sort of put that aside for a second and fix this. You know, I actually did not. When I first got the call that she had been abducted, it was her husband, Laura's husband, calling me in the middle of the night because the producer who was with them had escaped. And so so he communicated to Laura's husband who called me. And I remember him saying, Laura's been abducted by North Korean officials. And of course it sent panic through my, you know, my, my body. Um, but I thought, well, hopefully we can just, you know, they can make some calls, figure it out and they will be released. Um, because I just, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think that they would hold them as long as they would. Now, We'd ha- we hadn't talked that much about what she was working on. So I certainly did think, well, if they, if they find, you know, the tapes and they see that they had been talking to refugees, then, you know, there could be problems. Um, but it was, it, was a, it was a sense of shock, but I was still hopeful that we might be able to communicate with the Chinese government. Um, we didn't know the story. We didn't know anything. Mm-hmm. Um, we hadn't talked to the producer yet. So... Yeah. So I remember this so vividly when this all happened. And so for you, you were there for how long? Uh, nearly five months. So five months, and in and overall, in terms of how you, would you feel like how you were treated? What what would be, kind of your description of that? Yeah, I think that the five months it was really a roller coaster of emotions and experiences. So it was uh, sheer terror to. Um, moments of hope. And there were moments of, I, w- I was treated humanely. And, you know, for that, I'm very grateful. I was certainly scared that I might have to spend a very long time there, perhaps the rest of my life. Um, but I was treated humanely once they had me in um, sort of their possession. And I do like to um, talk about the glimmers of compassion and humanity that I also experienced mm-hmm. in exchanges with my guards and and how we have very preconceived notions of of who the North Koreans are and they have preconceived notions of us. Um, but after some of those barriers were sort of broken down that I think that uh, my captors and I were able to see each other in a, in a different light. Were mm-hmm. you able to communicate with them? I mean, did they speak English? There was always one guard assigned to me that spoke um, at least a little bit of English. I also had an interpreter uh, who was always with the interrogator who would come to question me, and he spoke impeccable English. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
And um, so, so, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I don't, I don't mean to like shamelessly plug the book that we wrote, but the way that Laura describes and writes about those interactions with these other human beings, granted, they were, they, their job was to make sure that she did not escape. They were guarding her, but they're, they're so important, I think, to, um, recognize the humanity in, in, in human beings. Mm -hmm. And for that, I remember when Laura was held there, I I said to my husband, I said, I know that Laura is somehow going to win them over. And if she ever gets out of there, they're going to miss her and they're going to remember her because that's just who Laura is. Like I've never known anyone who's ever even thought something negative about my sister. And I'm glad it wasn't mm. me who was there because I would probably still be there. Um, no, but it's such an amazing, uh, it's just an amazing, um, it's just who you are to see the good and the compassion and humanity, you know, because it is the truth. I mean, we all have, we are empathetic. We do have compassion. There are, we, we are, you know, these guards, these people who you were dealing with, you could see through some of sort of their rigor, I guess, and really understand them as yeah, a I think that, human being. I think that what, what a lot of us tend to do is sort of stay within our own silos. And when we can just take the chance to get out of those silos and just understand where each other's coming from, people from opposite ends of the world who have, um, who view each other perhaps as enemies. Um, is this doesn't have to apply to the U.S. and North Korea mm-hmm. to comply to anything that's going on within our country right now, mm-hmm. right? But mm-hmm. if we take that chance to you know, engage with people that we consider different, maybe even our opposites, then we can sort of find a common humanity. Mm-hmm. I mean, Laura tells this incredible story about, you know, she and her colleague were sentenced to 12 years hard labor when they were there. And when the news went out, um, her captor was, the, the woman who had been in your room um, was kind of shocked and almost like disappointed in her country that they had handed down this harsh sentence. And it was just like a really kind of moving moment that you two shared together. And um, again, like I think what I admire about what Laura did there was, you know, our two countries, the U.S. and North Korea, have had this contentious relationship forever, right? But she knew that these 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 captors, all the people she interacted with, had been raised believing that Americans were the enemy, right? That they were actively at war with the United States. And so I think Laura pretty masterfully kind of decided, like, I want to show them a different side of being an American and just kind of killed them with kindness. Mm-hmm. And, and so as a result, this kind of really poignant relationship evolved um, that is, is just, you know, I still, I just think about how heartening that, that was. Were you ever aware of the communication that was going on between North Korea and America? Um, I was. So let's see, Lisa and I, uh, I was allowed to receive letters um, every now and again. And so I would get information through those letters. And I knew that if I could, but I wasn't allowed to send letters out. I sent one initial letter out. 
But I knew that if I could just talk to my sister, that she could help make something happen. You know, it's that and, sibling thing, you know, because obviously every letter that we ever sent, we knew that she would not be the only person looking them. We we knew that there would be other eyes on them. And so I think Laura also knew that if she were able to contact me, like we just, we, we, we are in each other's heads that whatever she said to me, I would understand what she was trying to communicate. And in fact, the very first call that she was able to make to me, because she convinced her captors, if you let me call my sister, we can, we can try to get something done. I, the first time I heard her voice, and this was like three months into her captivity, wow. I heard her voice and I was just like, I was so overwhelmed. And I was just like, I wanted to know how she was. And she just said, Lisa, we don't have time to talk about mm. that right now. You know, this is serious and we need to talk about, you know, we need to figure something out. And I could just, I, I could tell at that moment, there was probably someone right next to her. Um, I could just, I, I knew, and I, I said to her, on the phone, I said, we have just been quiet about this. We haven't talked to the press. We're just trying to lay low. And she said, it's been too quiet. And I just, I knew at that moment that it was time to raise the profile, that we had to get in front of the press. And I also knew that she was dealing with a country, that we were dealing with a country that is highly sensitive to how the public views it. Sees and them, so, right. yeah. And so we just, we sort of um, deployed this PR strategy that was like just super, like just in, in such deference to the North Korean government, uh, apologetic, that we took the onus on ourselves for making this egregious mistake. And, and, and we begged for mercy. Like we did not want to do anything that would offend the North Korean government, even though... North Korea violated China's sovereignty right. by crossing over into China and dragging them out of right. the country. I was we could ask never about that. we could never say that because we did not want to piss off the North Korean government right. because they held the cards. Yeah. So now when you talk about those things, do you ever get concerned that there would be some sort of backlash? I don't think so. I mean, I sometimes I get people ask if I suffer from PTSD or anything like that. And, you know, sometimes I'll get a nightmare or a panic attack. But I do think that the message that I have come back with and, and what I um, try to convey is this is this deeper sense of humanity. So, um, yes, you know, I yes, um, I do not want to forget the egregious human rights abuses that take place in North Korea and the people who are suffering. Mm -hmm. um, because too often the conversation is about the politics, it's about the nuclear situation, and the people get lost in that conversation. Yeah. But that's why I like to direct it back to the humanity and the the connections that I was able to make with the people. And so I feel like my overall message that I've come back with is just one of wanting to build a deeper connection for, the, for those that we see um, through such a different lens. Did you have to go into like survival mode? From an emotional, psychological standpoint, you yes. know, I mean, did you meditate? Did you, you know, really go within? Because I well, can't, I mean, yes, how I, do you survive so at that? First, so at first, I, at first I didn't. At first, um, every single minute felt like an eternity. And I just sat around depressed. Um, there were times when I did think about taking my own life. Um, it was a very, very dark place. But um, 
I also thought that if I was going to get through that situation, I would have to change the way I was thinking and I would have to start trying to like help determine my own fate. And so from that point on, it was a kind of a very simple shift in thinking. I went from, I can't do this. I'm going to die here to, okay, I can do this. I can handle this. I have to work to make something happen. Mm -hmm. And so just that kind of slight change in perspective um, changed everything for me. I meditated and I exercised every single chance yeah. I could to keep kind of my energy up and I strategize and strategize. So when Lisa talked about that first phone call and she was so emotional um, and my God, like hearing her voice on the other line, oh, it just, um, you know, it, 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 my heart was just exploding. But at the same time, I knew that I had just a limited amount of time to talk to her and that that time could be cut off at any moment. And so I needed to use every second, every breath that I had to make sure that I was conveying what I thought was necessary to help our situation. So what happened to you when you hung up the phone and then had went back into time alone? Like, was that, was that, what did you have like a, I know if it was, if I could only put, try to put myself in your, for me, if I had that moment, I finally was able to talk to someone in my family that I'd just lose it. Yeah. Um, I, I did lose it. I mean, every sort of like human communication, it really, it was, it was with my family, of course, but even like just having bright moments of communication with anybody, um, was a comfort to me. But when I, after I first spoke with my sister and I also got to speak with my husband, um, it's hard to describe the feeling, but I knew that I just had to keep like strategizing again to figure out like, okay, what do I have to do next? How can I make it to the next call? And what do I have to do uh, or convey on that next call so that I can keep moving this forward? Do you remember your meditations? I mean, do you remember what when you would get quiet and close your eyes and go to the place that was oh, of yeah. comfort? Do you remember those well, I, I started practicing one of the things that I did, and I did many things. Mm -hmm. um, but one of the things that I did uh, was practice the act of gratitude. Mm -hmm. And so this was a ritual that I would practice every evening, I would sit cross legged. Mm -hmm. And I would think about some things that happened in that day that I felt grateful for. So, so I would say I feel grateful I saw a butterfly outside my window even though I can't breathe the fresh air. I feel grateful. I heard music today. Um, you know, perhaps I was allowed to watch some television and there was a song that I heard. Uh, it, was, it would be thinking about those little things. And that really brought me a sense of peace and a sense of hope. And it's something that is a ritual that I continue to do mm -hmm. to this day. So I expressing gratitude about like the meager bits of food that you got because you knew it was probably more than yes. a lot of North Koreans oh, yeah. were getting. Oh yeah, I said that every night. I would say I, I feel grateful I got three meals today, even though the portions were meager because they were probably more than what the average North Korean was getting. And and by doing continuing to do this and practice this ritual um, to this day, I find that it can um, sort of add a certain rhythm into our lives during very chaotic, stressful moments. Mm -hmm. It can allow us to just feel a little bit more centered and focused and just a greater sense of peace. Mm -hmm. But it, when you think about it, we're constantly spending our day thinking about what we don't have, right? And social media makes it so much worse because it's like you're looking constantly Ugh. at things that everybody else has and fake things. You know, that people just constantly, have or yeah. yeah just, but but you know, like it's it, it, it is what it is, right? It makes but we you don't feel like think. you should be doing more. 
You could be doing Constantly. so much. Yeah. And then you look at Instagram and you're like, I, I should I be doing more? Is yeah. there more that I you, I don't even look at Instagram anymore. I go dangerous. on and post whatever I'm gonna post because it's like a weird outlet for me. Yeah. Just because I can truly sort of be my insane self. I don't know why I feel that way. <laughs> and then I don't look at the feeds or anything. I post and then I'm out. It's too nuts. It is. Me. It is. But we but you know, we're constantly thinking world. about what, yeah. what we don't have. And how often do we just think during our day like what we about what we do have? Oh, yeah. Right? It's just like so for the five for the five months that that she was that she was in North Korea, were you able to have a great day? One day, I mean, were you able to sort of be to laugh and have glasses of wine and actually participate in your own life, or was it too heavy? You know. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I I may I don't remember any right. of those days at all. And again, I'm someone who likes to remember every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a it was pretty much a cloud. It and was. I, I started having nightmares. I, um, I would just wait by the phone. Like I just had my phone on me at all times. And if I ever missed a call from somewhere, I would just go into like a little depression. Yeah. Because I felt like I missed a call. Um, and Laura, did you ever have dreams? Did you ever Home miss a, dreams? Did she ever miss a call? I think I did. I think I was like in the bathroom or something when I missed a call. Yeah, I think so. But I think that I you were able to call me back. Yeah, like pretty soon, like within minutes. But I mean, yeah, that was pretty kind of miraculous, actually. But yeah, I couldn't really work because I couldn't focus on what I was doing. And our parents were just a disaster. How did you tell mom and dad? I mean, I, I, I called them and I had to, you know, my mom was actually the first call that I made, even though she's just my, our mom is so prone to stress, but she speaks perfect Mandarin. So she was the first call because I said, we need to call the Chinese government. We need to call everyone we know in China to get on this, to try and communicate to North Korea. But yeah, I mean, our parents don't, don't deal with stress very well. I mean, part of the biggest stress, you know, was the parent, Some was of the biggest stress was just dealing with communicating them. with yeah because they would call me a million times a day asking if Laura had called or if I'd heard anything, so yeah. And what about when you were set to be released? Was there? This sounds crazy, but was there any hugs for the for these for the guards, these people who you've actually connected yeah, with? Yes, um, it's a great question, Oliver. I'm trying to think if there were physical hugs. <laughs> um, I think there probably were hugs. I mean, right. there, there was one time when I actually embraced my uh, one of my guards. She was crying for some reason, and I just felt compelled to reach out and hug her. And I knew that I could be taking a big risk, but I did. And I think that she appreciated that. And that's one of the, I think, one of the moments where, uh, <laughs> you know, it's one of the moments of sort of breaking down those barriers. Mm-hmm. But I do remember um, on the last day when I said goodbye to um, one of my guards, I gave her my email address and I said, I know that you are not able to communicate with the outside world um, because although they have an intranet in North Korea, the average person can communicate within the country. They're not able to have email access to the outside world. Um, so I said, one day when you are able to communicate outside of North Korea, here is my email address. And I hope that you will get in touch with me. 
Um, and it's so funny because it's a Yahoo address that I don't know, I don't use anymore, but I keep it. <laughs> just in just case. In case. Oh, wow. Uh, it's pretty amazing. It's also wow. just so, it's again, it's like, it's, it's, to me, it's that thing. It's the, the powers that be. And you sometimes look at all these people making these big, enormous decisions that are affecting the direct ability to communicate and know each other. It's like that bridge. You know, I, I always think about how do you how do you meet halfway on that bridge and really try to understand each other and your cultures? I and mean, we're so we're so learned by where we come from and what we know and what we're told. And when you finally get to especially woman to woman, when you talk about, you know, she was obviously going through something and you just want to embrace her to let her know at least physically that she's that it's going to be okay that type of humanity is what is what we we forget to think about because one man decides that this is how he's going to rule his country yet we're all dealing with the same emotive challenges yeah, I mean, we're all we, we all want the same things you know we're, we're irrespective of where we come from or what we espouse politically, right? I mean, our country right now is so divided. Oh, the whole God. world is so divided. It's crazy. But at the end of the day, when you actually like interact with people, you're you're in their physical presence, you're looking them in the eye, like you you do start to realize that ultimately we all want the same things. And we're all driven by the same desire, which is to provide for our families and to protect them. And it's funny, it's true, when you go into, I travel a lot, I do work with the World Food Program, so you go into these different places and you meet these really interesting people who... I mean, there's no, there's no, I, I don't relate to any part of what their experience is until you go into their house and you start talking to a woman who just had a baby. You start talking to each other in kind of sign language. For about, the audience, Kate just grabbed her left <laughs> breast. <laughs> about breastfeeding and like making like, man, like, oh, so tired and it hurt. You know, <laughs> next thing you know, you're having an absolutely relatable conversation about what it is to feed your babies. Totally. We can all relate to each other in some capacity. It's about making, but it's about making those connections. Like you can't experiencing experience that without being there, without meeting with people face to face, not on Facebook, but face to face. Mm -hmm. No, yeah. well, we definitely need more face to face. I tell my kids, you know, they're twelve, nine, and and uh, six, and I'm like, look, when you, uh, my boys, I'm like, when you guys are gonna getting to girls and stuff. I said, you're not going to be texting them to go to a movie. I said, you, I'm going to make sure that you are going to actually stand in front of this person and ask them verbally. Remember when we were kids and like, like when we would, there was a boy or a girl that you liked and how like, remember those feelings you got when oh, you yeah. were about to call them yeah. and you know, like, I, I, those are so vivid Ugh. for me, and kids well, about, don't feel that oh, no. anymore. Well, how about when you actually had to all. call a landline and the parent the would pick yeah. up? Yeah. Exactly, because and and you had to have such like act like the guts to to actually <laughs> know that if oh the God, parent so it'd be like, oh hey, is Josh there? Like who's this? I'm like. <laughs> Kate, <laughs> you know, you're just like, it's that just sheer terror. But again, it's like, it's that feeling, you know? And I think that this generation now that's grown up with these devices, they don't 
They don't feel anymore because they don't need to. And they, they're texting or they're meeting people via apps. And it's like- I could talk that, to you for that, a million. I mean, what, yeah. what, what do you, I mean, in terms of what you're talking about- I know, but I really want to do one one thing. I just want the reunion. Like, like oh, yeah. that yeah, yeah. reunion, <laughs> the plane ride, and it's like you get off the plane and it's like, oh! Well, we didn't even <laughs> talk about when you I realized mean, that you were going to go home. Who told you that you were going to go home? Well, so, I mean, it had, you know, it was a long process, and I had requested that uh, a number of different people serve as an envoy to come help with our release. Um, But there was one person in particular that um, I began to realize was the one that the North Koreans needed and wanted, and that was former President Bill Clinton. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I called my sister, and... I mean, can you imagine making that call? Like, hi, Lisa, do you think Bill Clinton can come to North Korea? <laughs> um, it was a, I didn't think that that was going to happen. I didn't think that um, he would be approved to make that trip. Um, but I did convey that to my sister. And it, it was like the worst person to have been suggested because Hillary Clinton was our chief diplomat. President Obama had not been in office that long and Laura worked for a company that Al Gore ran. And so for a myriad of reasons, I thought, please don't ask for Bill Clinton, but he was the only one who, uh, who could do it. And apparently he agreed to do it without any Hesitation. Yeah. And and by the way, Secretary Clinton also said, if that's who they need, let's 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 make this happen. Yes. So even though even though I was apprehensive because I didn't think he would be approved, given also this was a hugely sensitive time between the two countries, um, he was and he made that trip. And I was informed that an important envoy had just touched down in Pyongyang and that I might get to go home. And this was a huge shock for me. Um, this was just nearly five months into uh, um, the captivity, and it really was a, a huge shock. And and from that minute on, things actually moved very quickly. Uh, we were taken to a hotel. Yuna, my colleague, and I were reunited. We were taken to a hotel to meet with him. Um, I mean, I felt like I was having an out-of-body experience when, you know, I saw uh, President Clinton there at that hotel and um, really the presence of my country standing before me in the form of the 42nd president. Um, Kate. And- <laughs> it's too much for Kate. <laughs> wow. It's like too early in the morning. And just, it's did you just fly so back with President Clinton? I did and his team. And it was, I mean, they were so wow. amazing. They were so amazing. I mean, Steve they, Bing donated I was his, say it was yes, Bing's plane, wasn't Steve it? Bing donated his plane. So it wasn't at a cost to taxpayers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I was able to, Laura was able to call me from the plane and I remember saying to her, because I, knowing that she had been, you know, five months in captivity, even though I didn't know about her situation at all, I I didn't know where she was staying or anything, but I said, um, I need to get you like an eyebrow pencil. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sending a bag with President Clinton. It's going to have an eyebrow pencil and some tweezers just because you're probably going to have to, there probably will be a lot of cameras. How is your hair, by the way, after the five months? It just shows the sisterly sisterly bond, okay? I mean, the the sisterly bond. And did you get a haircut in five months? I mean, no, no. I mean. Um, I mean, my hair was pretty, pretty funky. No, I mean, it was just, I, I pulled it back in a ponytail. And she was just pretty, so pale when she long. came down. I remember, yeah. I remember the 
Yeah, I hadn't you know, seen, you know, I mean, I hadn't really seen the yeah. sun. Wow. Um, first I, meal, what about first, Amer? Do you remember what you ate? Oh, yeah. I Well, it's funny because all I craved was pizza. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but my mom had made me this, this Chinese soup that I love. Mm-hmm. I love the soups that she makes, but I really didn't care to have anything like Asian. <laughs> so, so I did have the soup, but it was great. But we had pizza that night mm-hmm. and it was amazing. I mean, did you just cry all night? We cried for months. <laughs> Is that like, we just like... Well, what about the first Lisa, time you saw each other? Like, how don't you still cry? Don't you still have moments where like, oh. it's just—it's so surreal. It, <laughs> yeah. It's surreal, and you know, Laura and I—we still—we have always our whole life like talked multiple times on the phone. I mean, we every morning, she or I will call one another and be like, "Hey, how you doing? Good. How are you? Good. Yeah, we don't have, have a good it's day. Not even Bye. A conversation. Like, we, we don't even it's talk. Just like, it's just hey, like, what's up? I love you. Bye. You know, did there's you, no substance. Did you come home and just go, okay, because you didn't have kids then. I didn't have kids. Were you like, we're having kids? Well, yeah, they you can do, do pretty if quickly. You, if you do, <laughs> yeah, if, if you do the math, me, yeah. our daughter was born. We pretty much right, you know, in, right had yeah. it that night. That's it. And then my head, it would just be like, oh my God, I just want a family. I don't want to. It was a warm shower, and then. Oh. <laughs> oh my God! And what, and, and what was? Like, we, I mean, just we, let me shower. We haven't even <laughs> talked about him. I mean, what about that reunion? Oh. You know. Oh God. <laughs> oh. Um, you know, I feel very lucky. Ian and I met in college, and um, we just, you know, we have a very special relationship. My husband would write letters to me, and, like, we had a meeting time established when at 9 a.m. in North Korea and 5 p.m. in Los Angeles, we would both look outside our respective windows and, and think of one another, and he would... I mean, this guy, um, so so he's my brother-in-law, <laughs> but, like, there's no one like Laura's husband, Ian. Like, he truly with all due respect to the men in this room, like is like they, 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 you could not have created a more incredible human being. And he would like sit in the same place when he would write write her letters and like take pictures of himself in the same like place with the window and like always sent packages. I mean, Mm. it was the guy just, I, it's indescribable. Like he's all love. Oh my God. Indescribable what he, what he did. But um, <laughs> so then you just and so when you well came- so so when so when I um you know walked down the steps of that plane um it was you know it was incredibly emotional and to you know to be able to see my husband and my sister again was absolutely amazing but I do think that I was most affected by seeing my mom and my dad and seeing how much they had aged um I saw in my father's eyes a kind of blankness that I had never experienced and I saw how much my mother had had aged from that and so that really hurt and you know to this day I don't think our our dad's health um began to deteriorate I think from that moment on and has never quite been the same mm. so I feel a lot of I mean, they went nights without sleeping. Oh, really? Like, nights and nights. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. yeah. So so that's what really hurt me the most. Because it's Um, not like any other captivity. Like, your kid gets locked up. You can still call. You know, mm -hmm. they're under... Like, when they're in a country where the U.S. has no diplomatic relationship, like, you don't know what the fuck. Yeah. Where they they are. What's going on, you know? And and, and now that you have kids, and, I mean, I think 
you know, not we can understand what that feeling must be like. And I've always said that, you know, when mom before kids, it's you see your parents love you so much. And you're like, okay, mom, like I get it. I I love you too. And I only truly appreciated how much my parents love me when I had my own kids and I felt that love for them. Yeah, and I'm like, sure. oh, 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 fuck. Of course you're like this with me. I mean, I'm 40 years old and you're looking at me like, oh my God, you're my baby. And, then, <laughs> and your kids won't appreciate it until they no, have they, kids. They, exactly. So. They won't understand why I smother them either. You know, they're like, Jesus, dad, please. You know, but wait till you have kids. You'll get it. So when the dust settled, after all of this this experience for both of you guys, do you think that it then took your work and put it into, like, were you even more inspired f- for your work or did you feel nervous about reentering? Yeah, yeah um, I, f- I felt more inspired about the work, but I was also nervous about reentering. So I feel that the work is incredibly important. We need to be out there um, uncovering these stories. Um, you know, there's a humanitarian crisis that's taking place um, right now in the world. It needs the world's attention. But for me, you know, it took me uh, an entire year to be able to travel outside of the United States, and it was to the mean streets of Toronto. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I do approach things with a little bit more hesitation, and I've been working on stories that have to do a little bit more about the human condition. Mm -hmm. Actually, um, I I had a web series about rituals that was inspired by the ritual of gratitude that I experienced in North Korea, and it looked at the rituals of other people and and what they do to kind of thrive and survive. And then I just completed a project for Discovery last year about the science and benefits of kindness. Mm. Um, Mm. And not just, you know, the people on the receiving ends, but the givers of kindness and the tremendous um, benefits we experience, including physical and health benefits when we are kind, Mm. even leading to longer life. Yeah. So my kid, my middle kid, Bodie, we were in this shoe store and he has these little tech decks things which are that you play it's like little mini skateboards right and there are these two guys behind the counter and they were like oh my god man i remember when we were kids and we used to do this and like let me borrow that and they they were playing with the tech decks and they were loving them and Bodie had three in his pocket and we were leaving the store we walked down he goes i want to give them their these tech decks i said all right and we went back in and he gave them each one of these little tech decks. And these guys were over the, I couldn't believe that this little dude was doing this. And we left and Bodie started jumping around and squealing. He was just emanating joy. And I was like, it feels good to give, huh? And he goes, I lie. He he was, it was like something he had never experienced before because he saw how that made someone else feel. And I said, it's better to give than to get isn't it? And he goes, yeah. You know, it was such a moment for me, you know, and sort of correlating that with the sort of science of happiness and what that can do, not only for the receiver, but also for what you are gaining from that, you know, it's amazing. Is that sort of the direction of your work now is just talking about more mindfulness studies and kindness? I I would like to, um, focus my work a little bit more on the human condition and who knows, maybe I'll to pick up that, start doing that book on rituals and kids. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, this is something my mom and I are really, I mean, we can talk about this anytime, but you know, my mom has this foundation called Mind Up. It's all about social yeah. and emotional 
um, curriculum for kids. It's about understanding the yeah, brain. It's about lot. teaching kids at a young age to really understand their brain, how it works when they're feeling stress or anger it's or so pressure. Important. How did they understand where it's coming from? Yeah. You know, they, they learn about their amygdala and then how to manage it through breath, through taking brain breaks, through really sort of being able to sort of self-regulate. And we have so much, so much more there, to talk about. There's oh, so I know, much more. I, I yeah. And then for you, Lisa, like what are, what, I mean, we're obviously all over CNN. Right. It was just very exciting. Yeah. I mean, I, I've been working on the same show, This Is Life, yeah, on CNN. Seasons, right? uh, our sixth season is airing now. We're okay. working on our seventh. And, you know, it's a it's a documentary series that explores so many different kinds of topics and different American subcultures. And and for me, the experience with Laura in North Korea has, has made me more defiant than ever uh, to want to continue telling stories and making people aware of their fellow humans. Cause I've always believed that the more we know about each other, the better we are, the more the, the, the smarter we are and the better we become. And I think we've gotten to a place in our culture right now where we're so polarized, you know, we're so, um, in our bubbles and we've stopped really hearing each other and understanding each other. And so my hope is that when people watch my shows, they'll, they'll develop a better understanding, possibly a more compassionate, uh, sense of how their fellow humans live. So what has been of this season, the most challenging interview you had or moment you had of the series? Oh my God, Kate! I mean, I could because mm. you've had every, every, a lot every of show is 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 a, a different kind of experience, right? Um, we did an episode about benzodiazepines. I saw that one, and you know these are some of the most widely prescribed drugs on earth: Xanax, Valium, Clonopin, Ativan, and. Uh, you know, I came to the realization that so few doctors really who are prescribing these meds, number one, know how to get people off if they start to exhibit signs of withdrawal or know how to help them taper. And to me, it is just, it is is absolutely devastating and terrifying that our own doctors are, you know, in some cases unaware of how to deal with some of the meds that they're prescribing. So I think that that that's the most infuriated I've I've been in working on episodes this season. Um, but every episode is its own kind of unique mm-hmm. experience. It's so awesome. Fun. I love it. I yeah. love it. Uh, um, a few more questions. Okay. I know Lisa's got to go back. We could talk for, I have so many fucking questions. I, we, I want to talk about how, hour. what it was like writing the book together. If there's ever any tensions or disagreements or there's so much to, to talk about. But I think one thing we ask everybody actually, um, uh, is sort of looking at each other start with Lisa, like you look at Laura, what would you, what would you like to take? What would you take from her that you don't have? What is something about Laura, a quality that, a quality that, that you would say, Ooh, I, I wish I, want, I had, I wish more, I of had more of that. And then you're next, Laura. <laughs> um, I love how Laura mothers her kid, her kids. Like she's such a present, playful, Mom, I mean, I, I, I am at my kids' events and I, I spend a lot of time with them, but she just, she just plays with them. And um, I just really appreciate and admire how, how, how what, a, like, what an amazing mother she is to her kids. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, God, I, I could take so many things from my sister if I could. <laughs> there are so many things. Um, 
Lisa just, we, we talked about this earlier, Kate, Lisa just has a natural ability um, to connect with people. And I feel as though, um, you know, in, in my work, um, I do, but Lisa, it's, it's just effortless. And I... I'll often call Lisa up and I'll be like, oh, I'm so nervous about, you know, this event I'm doing. And she's just like, you, you got this. You, you got this. I kind of carry a little bit more of a nervous energy about myself. But Lisa is just calm and easy. And mm. I definitely And what about the inverse? What would you take away from her? Like a stress or alleviate I would, I would take her. that anxiety that she has yeah. because sometimes she gets in her head and I just want to, I always, because she calls me about everything, right. wants to almost like get my approval on things mm-hmm. or get my opinion. And I'm like, you just, just be you, mm-hmm. just, you got just this. be you and you don't have to worry about that. So that's the one mm-hmm. thing I always kind of want to convey to her. And for Lisa, I would be, <laughs> she has a lot going on. So her mind is always in a million different places. Um, and so I think that you know, if I could give her that gift of just, you know, kind of focusing on one thing at a time rather it's than trying ADD. to. Sort of <laughs> what's your sign? Virgo. You're Me a Virgo. Too. And what's your Sagittarius? Oh, a Sag. I'm an Aries. I'm the September 7th. So we're fire and, yes, yeah, it's similar because yeah. we're fire and you guys are mm-hmm. both. <laughs> um, interesting. I, yeah, I can relate to that. I can relate to having a lot on your plate and. It is a nice thing. It feels almost like a, uh, for me at this moment in my life, it would feel like a beautiful gift to be able to only focus on one thing. But then there's the other side, which is I'm choosing to do a lot of things because it's just the way. Yeah. Let's do the speed round real quick. Fun little questions. And then you guys have to promise to come back at a certain point. Okay. You go first, Ollie. Uh, One word to describe the other. One word. Um, Compassionate. Sweet. Oh, okay, so okay, so Laura said Lisa's compassionate. And <laughs> oh, sorry. Okay, okay, got it, got okay. it. This is uh, a, this is a tough. Who one. is more adventurous? Lisa's more adventurous. <laughs> uh, I don't know about that. No, I think I think she's just being nice. Okay. Right. <laughs> Laura, Laura, you I think, think, deep think down she Laura thinks, thinks you're more adventurous than Lisa? Yeah, I don't, yeah, uh, maybe. <laughs> Okay. Who's right. funnier? Lisa. She's not. She's she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe I am funnier. <laughs> uh, who gets the last word during an argument, if you guys ever argue? Do you fight, by the way? Very rarely. Okay. But I definitely dominate, for sure. You do? I get that's right. <laughs> yeah. I think it's just I mean, the older we, sibling we, dynamic. We, we got like, an argument when, I don't know, I was seven years old, and I was supposed to um, give up the f- sitting in the front seat of the car for the rest of my life. That was like what I, that's what we lost in the argument. And I still go to the back, the back seat. seat. No. That's a good question, you know by what? the way. And, and, and Who no. gets the front and seat? And again, we don't fight a lot, but the last time we did get in a fight, like a few months ago, I think you cried. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. But it means, I can see, I, yeah. What, like, what, would you fight, what would you fight? What would you possibly fight about? I don't even remember what it was about. But. I remember. Okay, who's? <laughs> oh, you do, do you? We don't need to talk about <laughs> it. We won't talk it. about it's that. Fine. Who um, gets annoyed more easily? Yeah. Uh, we both do. We, I think we both get. You get more annoyed. You get more annoyed. You know, more who easily. borrows things from the other more? Well, me. 
<laughs> who is better sister. who's better at talking their way out of something i mean <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean that's a tough one that's a tough one. i would have said me until north korea i was gonna right. say like i mean talk about talking your way out of something this is like but, oh, this but, is a question we ask people there's but i'm not sure lisa lisa also does not do well in confrontation like you oh, don't really? do well, whereas I think I do a little bit better. Yeah. Do you I, do you go I, and do do you retreat? I will I will get in fights with people on Twitter. Oh, you will. Yeah. No, you're confrontational. Oh, you're confrontational. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't do it often because I try really hard yeah. to kind of you know have conversations. But sometimes if you hit if you push my buttons, oh, I God. I can get kind of apoplectic. <laughs> She's like, back off. Yeah. Um, who's <laughs> better Who's better at gift giving? Laura. She's a, she's a, especially for kids for sure. I'm like, here's the Amazon certificate. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We always ask. I like to put it a certain okay, you, way. You do it this time. Oliver likes to say, who do you like better? Right. I like to say, who did you relate to the best <laughs> in this interviewing oh, process? Man. But here's the thing. Oh, you yes. Look, I have taken We're hits. Not, Kate has taken we've hits. We've taken hits. We can take them. This is not a sensitive, but we this need is not a sensitive thing. We openness and we honesty and it's for a charitable cause. Truth you for guys, dollars. Seriously, who do you, who, in all sincerity, I, I, you know, truth this, for is dollars. Not, this is not a cop-out. I, I so appreciate you know, you as a man speaking about how important being a present father, you know, is. And and Kate, I just love, you know, you are, a, a, you know, one of the biggest like film stars in the world, but you're, no, but really, but your passion for everything is so infectious and moving. So I can't, I, I can't choose. Sounds like me. No, I can't, no, it I, sounds, it, soo- it, it I, sounds, at first I thought it was, sounds kind of, I thought it was like, me. look, Ollie, you're so great, right. but I got to go with Kate. Just but then I was like, oh no. But what if Kate wasn't a big star? Then you gotta pick one. You gotta <laughs> okay, pick Laura. one. Wait, we each have to pick one. Oh yeah. Is that what you're saying? Let's, or let's or it's a easier. collective. <laughs> Who do you think is the better interviewer? Let's do that. Oh god. No. You guys are this is you too. This this is gonna go on forever because we can't I you guys, oh. guys are gonna awesome. that means we, we have just to see. We just we just talked and spent the whole time talking about building bridges and a common humanity. Yes. So we're not gonna be divisive right now. I mean it makes sense. I know. It makes sense. So you each get a point. Let's just say we love that you two are doing this together and it's been and you're phenomenal at it. You both you both are so, so good at this. Thank you. It's been really, really fun, fun, and we're going to take it on the road. We're going on the road. Good. But thank you guys for coming. This yeah. was really, really us. fun. Thank you. It was too thank short. You, you have Sorry, to I promise have to, go to come back. Lunch at my kids' school. That's okay. I'm trying to be a present mother. That's all right. <laughs> Sibling Revelry is executive produced by Kate Hudson, Oliver Hudson, and Sim Sarna. Supervising producer is Allison Bresnik. Editor is Josh Windish. Music by Mark Hudson, aka Uncle Mark. You looking for some amazing TV to stream? Well, indulge yourself with the hits on Hulu that you can't miss. Dive in with Barney, Ted, Robin, and the gang on How I Met Your Mother. All nine seasons are streaming on Hulu. Then you can move on to Modern Family, Shit's Creek, and My Wife and Kids. We're talking every episode and every season of these shows. We're talking huge hits. Streaming on Hulu whenever you're in the mood. Now we're talking. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. 
Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Hey, guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.